Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. Thank you for downloading this week's podcast. We're currently in a two-part series entitled, The Separation of Church and Hate. Grab your pen and paper as we prepare to hear God's Word ministered to us today. What is your perception of the church or Christians? Well, I used to go to church uh, years ago, and it came to the point where the church I was going to was uh, a lot of hypocritical people there. And it's got to the point where I would see people in public that I went to church with, and they wouldn't even speak to me in public. And it just got to the point where I didn't, I didn't really like going there anymore, and I lost interest. A lot of the Christians at the church I go, they're a lot older. So it's just, you know, it's just more, it's a little boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boring. Um, judgmental. What's that last one? Judgmental. Judgmental. Yeah, there's a lot of Christians that I come across are very judgmental. Oh, so say more about that. How have you found them to be judgmental and how did that make you feel? Well, um, I'm 25. I got pregnant when I was 21. And I was more afraid to tell people in my church than I was to tell anybody else. Wow. Because it's just, I just find that more, a lot of people, they, a lot of Christians, you know, I just, I know what the Bible says. Yeah. I know what it says, but I, you know, everyone sins. So it's like, just because I'm pregnant, that doesn't mean that you're perfect. And, you know, like, I know the Bible says that no sin is greater than any other. So what is your perception of Christians and the church? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean... Some people, some church people keep people out of church. So, I mean, but church is good and, and overall. Depends on the church sometimes. From back home, some of them are a little judgmental, I feel like, and some are just there for what they're supposed to be there for. Do you feel like most churches are loving places or mean-spirited, judgmental places? Well, it's a loving place. Yeah? Yeah. Judgmental, for sure. <laughs> I'm a big believer in love is all that really matters. So I feel like seeing as everyone preaches about God's love and about how God's love is universal and it should go to anyone and everyone, and then they turn around and say, oh, but not y'all. It just, like, rubs me the wrong way. You feel like there's some mean-spiritedness, judgmentalism toward people who might not live a certain way that someone thinks they should. Now, I'm going to ask you a question because this is a great conversation I'm having with you today. Do you think that a Christian or a church, or you for that matter, do you think that you can you can fundamentally disagree with someone's lifestyle or their choices, but still love them without without making them feel hurt or hatred? Do you think that's possible? I do. I mean, uh, that's pretty much what family is all about, if you think about it. I mean, there are so many... There are so many of my family members that I have disagreed with what they have done and disagreed with what's gone on in their lives. But, I mean, that doesn't change how much I love them because they're family. That's And that's what it comes down to. If you love someone, you should be able to let the rest of it go. Even if you disagree, you can still love someone. I think the church uh, itself 
uh, as you welcome in people should remember that you welcomed in first. And so don't get so lofty in your thinking or so self-righteous because you attend physically a church and that makes you right or holy or good or perfect because there is none good but the Father, not one. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And I don't think there are any stones again. No. Hey, I love it. Love you, sister. That's awesome. All right. God bless. go find that sister. We want her up in here to preach. Amen. Hey, welcome again. We are so glad you are here today. My name is Benji. I am uh, one of the pastors here. I have the awesome, unbelievable privilege of being able to be with you today and speak on a regular basis. And I'm so glad that you are here. We want to give a warm shout out to people who are watching this thing around the planet on the internet. We want to give a shout out to those who are watching it on front of the television. And we also want to give a shout out, come on now church, to our two brand new campuses in Columbia and North Raleigh. We love you guys. We want to give a shout out to our Sanford campus. And I just feel led to say to the Sanford community, well done. I was moved by how many people you actually sent to Columbia, South Carolina last weekend to help launch that church. So give Sanford some love. Garner campus. Garner campus just celebrated three years. Give them some love. Three year anniversary. Daughters of the King at the NCCIW campus, the coffee house, which I was just up there and they are blowing it up up there today, worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. It is going to be a good day. Let's jump right in to a very big topic and conversation today. If you are a guest here today, this sermon will feel very different than my normal sermon. What I really want to do today more than anything is have a conversation with you. I intentionally put this two-part series, Separation of Church and Hate, right after we launched the Columbia campus and the North Raleigh campus because I thought it would be a great way for you folks to know fully what kind of church we are. And listen to this, church. For those of you who've been with me a while, I wanted to do this series because for some of you, this is going to clarify... Why we do what we do at this church. For some of you, see, I know, I know, I know. Especially for those of you who've been with me a long time. There are times along the way when you ask yourself this question. Why are we not getting involved in that issue? Why is pastor not speaking out boldly on that issue? Why is pastor not going downtown in Durham on Mondays? They have this thing going on now. It's called... um. Where pastors and clergy and, and all kind of, they're going down, they're getting arrested. What's that called on Monday? Yeah, see, yeah. The, the people who just said moral Monday, those are the ones who wonder from time to time, hey, why isn't pastor going down there and getting arrested? Right? You probably aren't. But some of you probably are. You know, this is, this is going to clarify and frame who we are as a church And why we do what we do. And I want to give some huge props where props are due. I took the campus pastors to a conference 
two years ago, uh, a conference called Unleash. And at that conference, I heard Andy Stanley talk about this very subject. And it actually helped me crystallize and put words to many of the things that I have felt since I started this church. And things that I consciously decided... When I started this church 12 years ago, we are going to do these kinds of things. And this is why we're going to do it. And we're going to do this. And we're not going to do that. And this is why. It is all wrapped up in this subject of separation of church and hate. So I also want to give a shout out to the sermon research team. I have an amazing sermon research team here at New Hope Church that helps me with research and data. And they have just been doing a great job. I hope you know that I never come in here, by the way, and uh, without standing on the shoulders of others who have instructed and helped and, and blessed me. Here's my question to you, okay? Grab your teaching notes. And by the way, I left the teaching notes almost blank for you this week. I did that so that you had plenty of room to write notes as the Spirit of God leads you today. This is a highly complex subject. Highly nuanced. And so more than anything, again, it's going to feel very, very different than um, one of my normal messages. I really want it to feel very conversational as we talk about a subject That is really, really big. And I want to start with a few questions. Have you ever seen a preacher speaking about God and sometimes speaking about God's love? But everything about his body language and everything about his message was not of love, but really exuded more hate than anything else. Have you have you ever visited a church? Come on. I know this is the case for many of you. You visited a church. And when you walked up to that church, you did not feel a sense of hospitality. But instead, you felt a sense of judgment. Stiff arm, if you will. Have you ever witnessed Christians boycotting anything? I don't care if it's the lottery. I don't care that it's a sporting event. I don't care that it's an abortion clinic. Have you ever experienced Christians boycotting something? And inside of you, there might have been a sense in which, hey, I agree with their stance. I agree with their position biblically. I just can't stand their methodology. Now, he says, bring it. You don't want me to. Oh, he he just cut me loose. (laughs) Unleash that boy. When you feel that, when you see a stance and a position that you kind of agree with, but you can't stand the methodology, you need to pause and reflect upon that tension. What is that? Why is that? It happened to me this spring. This spring, my wife and I went to Atlanta, Georgia. Any Atlanta people up in the house? (laughs) We got one of them, which is surprising. I bet there's some more. Just nobody's crazy as you. Um. I bet, I bet there's some at the campuses too. Well, we were down in Atlanta for a bucket list item. I mean, I'm a big sports fan. I always wanted to go to the Final Four. And I didn't say this in the other service, but I'm going to go and say it right here since he just unleashed me. I want to go to the Super Bowl too. FYI. 
Somebody hook me up on the Super Bowl. Anyway, um, so we wanted to go to the <laughs> we wanted to go to the Final Four. I've always wanted to go to the Final Four. So we're in Atlanta this past year. This is spring 2013, right? We're in Atlanta for the Final Four. We are so excited. It's not even funny. We had concerts all weekend in, in, the, in the park area right there in downtown Atlanta. And then the day came for the game. I was so excited. The only thing that I was bummed out about was that Duke was not in the Final Four. And I was bummed out that Carolina was not in the final four. See? See, some of you, you need to, you need to not hate and appreciate. See, the deal, is, the deal is you need to always pull for the home state team. I'm just saying. So I was bummed they weren't there. So I don't get any emails. I guess I better say this. I was glad the Wolfpack wasn't there. And I was glad North Carolina. I mean, I was disappointed North Carolina Central wasn't there. That made, the, that made the North Carolina Central people happy. But I got to say, if North Carolina Central ever makes it to the final four, the world will be coming to an end. Jesus will be getting ready to return. <laughs> because miracles will be abounding everywhere. Um, I, think, I think I just included all the universities. So I love you. We're all inclusive around here, right? So we're walking up to the final four. It's a big deal. Here's my wife and I, okay? We're, we're going up to the final four. Man, we're so excited. Look at the next picture. The next picture, man, I mean, it was a big deal. They had parades. They had concerts. That's a parade of policemen on Harley Davidson's. That means that's a godly group of popo. You put a policeman on a Harley Davidson, he is bad to the bone. So we got that. Look inside this place. I mean, this was unbelievable. This was a party. Had Louisville versus, uh, Louisville versus Michigan. Notice I said Louisville. Can I just, he's unleashed me, so there's no telling where I'm going to go today. Don't ever say Louisville. I lived in Kentucky. You say Louisville, you, somebody should look at you and say, bless your heart. On the count of three, it's Louisville. One, two, three. See, I lived in Kentucky. Personal pet peeve, sorry. Um, so we're going up in there, and, and we're making our way in there, and, and we're, we're caught up in this, like, 100,000 plus people. And we're pouring into this place, when all of a sudden... I look over to the left-hand side, and there they are, about 30, 40 yards away. There they are. Christians. With their poster boards. And their placards. And I'm walking, and Amy Lynn sees me notice it. And she says, just keep walking. That's my wife, if you're a guest around here. And I, like any good husband, disobeyed her in the name of the Lord. (laughs) Beeline straight toward him. And I'm surrounded again by all these basketball players. And at big sporting events, particularly like this one. I mean, it was just a big party all weekend long. It was a monstrous party. So you got a bunch of highly inebriated basketball fans. And so I, I walk up to this barricade, and I'm going to show you a picture. I won't, I won't sit on it too long because it will disgust some of you. And, and others of you, you know, it, it, this might be something that, that you would at once time maybe participate in or maybe you would agree with, and I, you're going to walk out of here today hating me. But I walk up here, and I look at this sign, this group of Christians, and, and here's, the, here's the picture before my eyes. Thank God for dead soldiers. Okay, why did they hate dead soldiers? Fags are beasts. And then they had the audacity to put a scripture there. It's not what that scripture says. 
God cursed America. And on and on and on. And go back to that one where that guy's in the, the left-hand corner. He's got the black shirt on. There he is. There he is. The, guy, the guy on the left-hand corner. Go back to the other one, the one you just left. So you can see him better. The guy that's got his black shirt on. I walk up to the barricade. And by the way, cops are around to keep the highly inebriated basketball fans from killing somebody. It was intense. I mean, there was yelling. There was crying. I said to the guy in the black right there, I'm right in front of him. And I go, had to do it like three or four times. Finally, it got his attention. And I said, come here, come here. So he hesitantly walked down to me. And I didn't plan any of this because this was just happening in the moment. So I said the first thing that came to my mind. I said, hey, bro, this ain't working. I said, said, look, you got people crying. You got people yelling. I said, "This, this is not working. And then he just kept on doing his thing. He didn't say anything to me. So I said, hey. I'm a pastor. <laughs> oh, I'll use the pastor car in a heartbeat. <laughs> but many times, if I get stopped by the popo, I'll... I'm a pastor, man. <laughs> Trying to get to the church to preach the word. <laughs> I said that the one time. I'm getting way off track here. I said that to one policeman one day, and he goes, Pastor, you of all people should not break the law. <laughs> So I said, I said, I said, I said, I'm a pastor. I wanted, I tried to give myself some credibility. I mean, I was at, I was at a loss. I said, I'm a pastor. I said, this, this is not working. With all the venom I've ever seen in a human being. He said, well, do you have homosexuals in your church? I said, yeah. He said, do you have divorced people in your church? I said, Yes. Do you have soldiers in your church? I still don't understand why they're against soldiers. Do you have soldiers in your church? I said, yeah. He said, with with finger pointed right at me. And you and all of those people, therefore, are going to rot in hell. Now, I've walked with Jesus 24 years. And he's changed this old boy. In a big kind of way. But would you think less of me if I told you that for just a moment? (laughs) I had images. I mean, I saw it all unfold. I had images of me coming across the barricade. (laughs) Punching him once in the throat. Taking him down to the ground. And then I would have been on the paper in the news. And your pastor would have been arrested. No, no. Actually, to be, to be completely transparent. There would have been a day when I felt that way. But I only thought that for a moment. You know what really happened? A sadness. Settled over me. Like you would not believe. And there's this beautiful. I, 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 just, I just remember her so vividly. Beautiful, tall, African-American woman standing right beside me. And she's bawling. And she goes, I'm thinking about moving to North Carolina. Where's your church? And I started talking to her. And, and finally, I just had to remove myself. And I called up with my wife. And for the entire first half of the game, I was just, I was just so sad. I was just so almost embarrassed 
to be a part of a Christian community. And out of that experience comes this message today. That I want to talk to you about. And again, it's going to just crystallize so many things for some of you. I know, I know, I know. Some of you have watched me for 12 years and you're like, why does he speak up then and he doesn't speak up then? And why does the church do this and why does it not do that? And today I am going to show you, you're going to walk out of here today more clearly understanding this church's position maybe than you ever have before. So let's go get this. And it's a different kind of message. I'm going to give you just some statements, some defining statements. And then what I'm going to do is we're going to look at two passages of Scripture at the end that will really just bring the whole thing to light. Are you ready for it? Say, bring it. Here's the first one. Here's the first one you got to know. The first one you got to know is this. The church has been very prone to say over the years, become like us and then you can join us. Right? Become like us and then you can join us. Now that is exactly the wrong message for the church to communicate to the world. Which is why for 12 years now I have often put signs up, literally physical signs up around this place. Now they have a t-shirt in the resource center that kind of reminds us of all of this. But the key message that the church should say to the world is not become like us and then you can join us. But rather come as you are. Come as you I mean, here's the question that I had to settle in my spirit when I started this church. And here's the question that I hope many of you settle in your spirit before you leave here today. Here's the question. Do you want to make a difference or do you want to make a point with your life? Do you want to make a difference or do you want to make a point? And come on, let's just be honest. It's a whole lot more enjoyable to make a point than it is a difference. Come on, parents, parents. Parents, you know, you, you ever had that moment when you're with your kids and you're, you're, you're disciplining your kids and you make them look at you and you, you be quiet, you look at me. And you just make point at the point at the point, right? And you send them to the room. And they go to the room and, and they sit down on their bed and they think, oh, my mom and my dad are so full of wisdom. <laughs> no, they don't. They grab their phone or they look at the computer or they start reading a book. No, 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 no. You, you can make a point, 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 point. But if you ever figured out, listen, there's a big difference between making a point and making a difference. If all you do in your parenting is make point after point after point, you're not going to make a difference in your children's lives. So you have to settle in your spirit. We as a church have to settle in our spirit. Are we going to be a point making church? Or are we going to be a difference-making church? There are lots of churches that for decades and even hundreds of years have been quick to make a point. But the unfortunate reality is they don't make much of a difference. I'm not going to call any names today, but I remember about seven or eight years ago when the largest denomination, one of them in America... Decided to boycott Disney World. Hello. Why would you boycott Disney World? And all the pastors in that denomination that I know. They would come to me and they'd say. Shh. We're taking the kids to Disney World. (laughs) There was once a denomination that boycotted Cabbage Patch Dolls. Why, why, Why would you do such a thing? Now lots of churches make points. And they're led by make a point kinds of pastors. And they're full of make-a-point kinds of people. 
It's easy to draw a crowd by making a point. And all of you can sit around and I make point at the point. You clap and you love me. Oh, he, he makes points all the time. And here's the only problem. We don't make a difference. Because when you make a bunch of points and you're around a bunch of people who are making a bunch of points, nobody comes around you so you're just full of a bunch of make a point kind of people. Right? So we, we don't say, we, we don't say, become like us and then you can join us. See, this is, this, just look at Jesus. Jesus. Jesus was anything but, you know, become like me and then you can be with me. No, 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 no. Remember Jesus and Matthew, the tax collector? Jesus is hooking up with Matthew, man. And, and the disciples are like, ooh, don't hang around tax collectors. They didn't like tax collectors like you and I don't like tax collectors. And Jesus comes along and says, Matthew, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to hang out with you today. Matthew's like, really? Are you sure? They all think I have tax collector cooties. Why would you want to hang around me? And Jesus is like, no, no, we're going to your house. We're going to your house to have dinner. Right? Right? Jesus was not like this. This is a textbook mistake that the church has made for so long. Here's the second statement I want to camp out on just for a moment. Jesus and Paul, particularly in the New Testament, Jesus and Paul leaned relationally in the direction of those that they constantly disagreed with the most. <whistles> Jesus and Paul leaned relationally in the direction of those that they constantly disagreed with the most. Now think about that for a moment. You and I, if we're not careful, can have the opposite tendency. We will stiff arm those that we disagree with the most. And yet when you read the Gospels, Jesus was known for leaning toward those he disagreed with. Remember the woman called in adultery? Remember the woman he called in, was called in adultery? They bring her to Jesus. Jesus, the law says that we should stone her. Jesus, I, I, when I get to heaven, I want to know what he was writing in the sand, right? Jesus gets down and he writes in the sand. And all those with the stones in their hands, they start to drop their stones and they start to leave. And then Jesus looks at this woman caught in adultery. And he says, where are those that are about to stone you? He said, neither do I condemn you. But then he said this. And he says, what? Go and sin no more. See, as I'm talking about this today, you need to understand that in many of the examples that I am giving, we might agree biblically and theologically. It's the methodology that is way messed up in the church today, particularly in the Bible believing evangelical church. Right, 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 right. It's the methodology that is all Messed up. Here's the next one. Here's the next one. They were not concerned. This is huge. They were not concerned with guilt by association. Jesus was never concerned with this. Paul was never concerned with this. Peter struggled with this. Those of you in the Catholic Church, came out of the Catholic Church. We have a lot of Catholics here. They kind of come settled in a new hope. We're so glad you're here. Peter, you know, your man in the Catholic Church, right? The one the church was founded on. Peter struggled with this. And Paul had the courage in Galatians 2 
to call Peter out. Peter's doing this thing. He's doing this thing. He's hanging out with the Jews when the Jews are there. And he's not associating with the Gentiles. But when the Jews would leave, Paul would hang out with the Gentiles, right? The outsiders, if you will. When the Jews came back, Paul would shun the Gentiles and kind of hang out with the Jews. And Paul called on to this. And publicly chastised Peter in Galatians chapter 2. You know why? Because Jesus and Paul and the early church, they were not concerned with guilt by association. And neither should we be. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, for those of you who, who know your Bibles a little better. What was Jesus referred to in the New Testament? I know that's a big question. But Jesus hung out with certain people. And he was referred to, therefore, as a friend of what? Sinners. Why was Jesus referred to as a friend of sinners? Because he didn't give a flying flip about guilt by association. And he hung out with people that needed him the most. Now, when we first started this church 12 years ago, I shared this last week in one of the messages, but I don't think it was this one. So if you were at the second message, you didn't hear this. When we started this church, the very first year we started this church, I I did this thing called Theology on Tap. And so I went into downtown Franklin Street. This is right there in Chapel Hill, South Carolina. You guys might have one too. Kind of it's the downtown strip area right by the university. And there's this bar called Spanky's. And they have a second floor. And so right as we started this church, I went to Spanky's and we broadcasted this all over the campuses. We called it Theology on Tap. The place was wall to wall, busting with young people, college students, and a few awkward older men that wanted to be young. (laughs) Dude, if you're 50 and we have a young adult event around here, don't show up. It's just awkward when you show up, man. And so we had this college thing, right? So there I am in theology on tap, right? And the college students are in there, man, and they're drinking, right? And there I am, you know, I, I, I got my ice water with lemon. And, and, and for, for two hours, I gave them two hours every Tuesday night. Ask me any question you want. There are no bad questions. Ask me any question you want. They ate it up. They loved it. Our church got so many college students During those days as a result of that. Did I take criticism? Absolutely. People would say, well, you know, when you go into the bars, aren't you saying this? Or when you do that, aren't you saying that? And my response today is just as it was 12 years ago. I don't give a flip. I'm not going to be concerned with guilt by association. Jesus was not and nor should We can I get an amen? Amen. Here's the next statement again, just giving you some statements and then we're gonna look at a passage of scripture. They avoided debates. They avoided debates that distracted from primary issues. This is where some of you have thought, why doesn't our pastor get out there and, you know, grab the microphone more? They, they call, they call, you know, will Pastor Benji get on the, the television and say this about that? Or, or why isn't he down there doing this? Why? No, 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 no. Because I made an intentional decision a long time ago that I was going to avoid debates that distracted us from the primary issues. This is what Jesus did. 
They came to Jesus one day. You know this story? They came to Jesus and the disciples said, Hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes? Now, how many of you have thought that question before? <laughs> hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes? And Jesus is like, if you kind of read into the text, Jesus is like, I didn't come to solve your tax issue. But since you asked, who's got a coin? They pull out a coin. And Jesus says, whose picture, whose inscription is on the coin? They said, Caesar. Jesus is like, well, then pay the taxes. One day they come to him and they say, hey, Jesus, Jesus. Was John, remember John the baptizer? Was John baptizing by God's authority? Whose authority was John baptizing? And Jesus, I love this. Jesus answers their question with a question. What do you think? So the disciples kind of go over to the side. Well, if we say it was by God's authority, we're liable to get stoned because there's only one God. And so people will think we're way off. But if we say by people's authority, uh, they're liable to get mad at us because then they're going to ask us, why did we get baptized by John? So they circle back up to Jesus and they go, we don't know. And Jesus goes, well, I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) I love that about Jesus, right? Jesus teaches us something very, very important. If you're writing things down, you really need to write this down. This is key. There are some questions that we should not answer. And if you have a conservative lean, you're all about the truth, the word, just take America back, right, 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 right. You're going to struggle a little bit with this. But there are some questions, and parents, you need to teach your kids this. There are some questions you shouldn't answer based on who's asking them, why they're asking them, and where they're asking them. Just some questions that maybe in another environment it'd be well worth answering them. But in some cases, we should not. Oh, I think I might have saved the best till last. They didn't judge. They didn't judge non-Christians for behaving like non-Christians. Textbook mistake that the church has made over the years. The church gets behind her hollowed stained glass windows, right? We can hurl insults out at the world, criticisms out at the world. The world's going to hell in a breadbasket, right? And we can just hurl all these insults out of the world. What are we doing? We're judging non-Christians for behaving like non-Christians. When in reality, we should be a people that care about our own behavior and our own integrity... And not the uh, integrity or lack thereof of people who don't even believe what we believe. Come on now, church. Who are we to police the behavior of non-Christians? Come on, let's be honest, right? We have a hard enough time policing our own behavior. Come on now. This has been a classic mistake. And so as a result, the church, the church that we set out to start 12 years ago. Again, it had been a whole lot easier just to make a bunch of points. And by the way, I think we would have been a bigger church today, by the way. 
It's easy to make a point. It's easy to get a bunch of people gathered around, clap about it, you know, making all these points. The problem is we're not making a difference. The church should actually look to the world and say, hey, it doesn't matter what you believe. And if you don't believe what we believe, we're not going to try to police your behavior. You are welcome to come in among us. It doesn't matter what you look like, what you smell like, what you act like. You are welcome up in this church. And some of you, I, I, I know, I can just tell from that, you know, some of you are here and some of you are there. Some of you got asking all kinds of questions in your mind. And you should be. Again, this is a highly nuanced subject today. So now that I've said some statements, let's get to the word. Let's get to the word. Look at what Paul says. Paul addresses this very issue in Colossians. Colossians 4, Colossians 4, 5. Why don't we read it out loud? What do you say? Ready? Go. Be wise in the way you act toward. Hold on, hold on. Toward who? Now, Paul is not giving a judgment statement. Paul is not saying insiders are better than outsiders. Paul is just basically identifying the reality that some people believe and some people don't. And those that believe they are in the way. They were called the way before they were called Christians, right? They were in the way. And some people are outside. So this is just a matter of what you believe, whether you're in Christ or whether you're not. Okay? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Let's continue. Make the most of every opportunity. So Paul is saying, be wise. Think about this. Then look what he says. He says, let your conversation, watch this. Let your conversation be always, always what? Come on, a little bit louder. I don't want those who are still just maybe not sure about all this. Real loud. Ready? You're not going to believe this. I did a word study on this little Greek word right here. Full, full really means full. It's like if this water bottle was full, right? It's not full because, well, I'm enjoying it. But if it was full, there would be no room for anything else. So Paul is saying, let us be very careful how we act toward outsiders. Let your conversations be always full of grace. If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, here's what I can say about you. You became a Christian because someone flooded you with grace. You became a Christian because someone lived this out. Let it be full of grace and what, what, what? Seasoned with. So Paul said, hey, when you're dealing with outsiders... Don't go policing their behavior. Get your own behavior in line with my word first. Let your conversations with them be full of grace and just a little bit of sprinkle, a little bit of season with salt. Because what does salt do? Salt preserves, right? Salt is a preservative. But come on, what happens if you put too much salt on your food? It's not good. So Paul says, when you're dealing with outsiders, let your conversations be full of grace and just a little bit of seasoning with salt. Now, come on, come on, come on. The classic mistake of the church. What do we do? We just heap tons of salt on people and just sprinkle a little bit of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer every one. I hit this hard 
in my series, Jesus on Politics. And if you missed it, it's in the Resource Center. Right during the last presidential election, I did a series called Jesus and Politics. And I talked about how if we're not careful, man, we can start trying to legislate and police the behavior of people who no longer believe what we believe. And as America goes more and more and more anti-Christian, listen to me, we are going to have less and less right to police anyone's behavior. I have an idea. Let's get our own behavior right up in here. And then we'll start seeing that people take notes. Because when you don't live to make a point, but instead you live to make a difference, you actually end up making a point kind of through the back door, if you know what I mean. One more verse of scripture. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Turn over to Matthew 5. Matthew 5. Verse 13. It says we're talking about salt. You know, that's where Paul was. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount. You are the what? Salt of the earth. So there's, there's a room for salt. We're to be salty, right? We're to be people of truth. People of integrity. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So, so Jesus is saying, yeah, you're the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. But watch how Jesus flips it because there have been a lot of Christians who misquoted that and they go out there and they just get all abrasive and mean-spirited and salty. No, 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 no. Look at what he says. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. So Jesus is saying, hey, you are the light of the world. For those of you who fly from time to time, the best way to try to describe this to you is you're flying, right? You ever flown at night? The plane starts to descend. You come upon a city, right? And the city just stands out because they're all the lights. Jesus is saying, you're the light of the world. Don't you put a bushel over your lamp. Let your light shine for the world. But here is what we often miss. Next one. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. All right, now watch this. There's what Jesus says. Next. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your two key words. What is the church? That they may see your what? And glorify your father in heaven. The way we make a point for the gospel is not mean-spirited ridiculing the world that doesn't really believe what we believe anymore. The way we make a point in the world is by making a difference. And the way we make a difference is by letting our good deeds shine. In other words... Jesus is acknowledging that the world is a dark place. It's dark. Like it's this dark. I've asked them to just cut the lights out in this place. It's dark in the world. You only have to watch the evening news once. Jesus says the world is dark. And you're the flashlight. 
Jesus says the way you light the world is you actually let your good deeds be seen by the world. And when you do that, the world, many of them who no longer believe or maybe they've never believed what we believe. They start circling around. And in time, they'll actually start to glorify our Father who is in heaven. Not by our billboards. Not by our placards. And definitely not by mean-spiritedness. Or hostility. No, 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 no. Let your good deeds shine. Separate the church from any form of hate. And love one another. And if you will love one another. If you'll be so passionate about your faith walk. If you will be so righteous. If you will be so holy. That just by the way in which you live your life. If you would be so generous. So loving. That actually the world starts to look at you and say, you know what? I want some of that. You know, those Christians, I might not believe what they believe, but I sure would love for my daughter to marry one because they stick true to their marriage vows. Hello. You know what? We might not believe what those Christians believe, but I sure want to hire one. Because they're honest and they tell the truth. You know what? We, we might not believe yet, but I tell you what, I want to hang out with that person because they are just good. And then the world starts to take notice because we're a light. The shining in the darkness. This is why we do what we do. And this is why we often don't do what we don't do. Because your pastor decided a long time ago, listen, listen, listen. I want to make a difference. I don't want to make a point. The way we make a difference is we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Who actually taught us and modeled for us exactly how we do it. Little history lesson and I'm done. When, when Christ resurrected from the dead 2,000 years ago, the Christian church started, right? And when the Christian church started, it had to deal with Rome. Rome was the meanest government ever on the planet, probably still to this day. Rome was the beast of a government. They started killing Christians. They made it their ambition to extinguish Christians. And so they were, they were hanging Christians up and they were just killing them left and right. And within 300 years, the way or the church, Christians, actually toppled Rome... And Rome actually became a Christian nation. Christianity was legalized. And the church 
had started to turn the world upside down by making a bunch of points? No. No, 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 no. They actually started to topple Rome and turn the world upside down, or as I've been saying lately, right side up. How? Why? Because they made a difference and not a point. And one of the ways in which they made a difference is they just outlived everybody in terms of integrity and morality. They didn't start trying to police everyone's behavior. They didn't get mean-spirited. No, 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 no. They just followed 1 Corinthians 13, 13. But the greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is what? Love. So they just started loving one another. They started welcoming kids in. They started fostering and adopting. And, and their marriages grew strong. And, and they became generous. And their families were like lights in the midst of darkness. And Rome started to take notice. And about that time, if you know world history or church history, three significant plagues hit that area up and down the Mediterranean River. And so there were hundreds and most historical scholars say actually thousands of people were killed by these plagues. And so Rome started to think maybe we have the gods mad at us and pluralism and paganism was big in that day. And by the time the year 300 came along, Rome had become Christian. And, and there's this emperor by the name of Julian. And Emperor Julian actually writes in this incredible book that was quoted later on, The Rise of Christianity. He actually quotes, this is an ancient text. But I believe it gives us great, great insight into exactly what I'm talking about today. And this is what Emperor Julian said. Recent Christian growth is caused by their, by their what? Even if pretended. <laughs> so Emperor Julian was not a Christian, right? And he had priests and they were pagan priests and paganism was in. And again, they thought the gods were mad. And so Emperor Julian was trying to bring paganism back and was trying to exterminate Christians. So he says, hey, the growth is caused by their moral character, even if they're just faking, even if they're pretending. And by their benevolence toward strangers. Now watch this. Look at what he says. I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by the priest or the pagan priest. So he's talking about his own priest. He goes, I think that when the poor are neglected by our pagan priest. This is what he calls Christians. I love this. The impious Galileans. <laughs> That's what they were referring to as the Christians. The impious Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. And look at what he says here. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. See, I think that quote gives us a backdoor view as to the rise and the flourishment, if you will, and the prevailing nature of the church. They had taken seriously Jesus' words. You're the salt of the earth. You are. You are on the other side of that camera. You're the light of the world. I am. 
And the way we make a difference in this world is to separate the church from any form of hatred. To get our own moral houses in order. And as we do, the world will actually start taking note. They will see our good deeds. And they will praise our Father who art in heaven. And I realize, I realize some of you are like, yeah, but what about this? And some of you, you know, maybe on the far right hand conservative spectrum, you want your pastor to be a make a point kind of pastor. I'm not going to do it. Because I want to make a difference and not a point. And since I'm picking on the right wingers, let me come on over here to the left wing. Those of you on the left hand side. You don't like their methodology and so you just want to do good deeds, good deeds, good deeds. And it doesn't really matter what we believe sometimes. No, no, no. It matters what we believe. So your pastors, you're going to think sometimes, you know, is he, is he liberal? Is he conservative? Is he Democrat? Is, is he Republican? What are we as a church? No, here's what we are. We are biblical. We are biblical. And we follow in the footsteps of the one who said, listen, listen, listen. Love one another. Love one another. So let your good deeds shine so much across the planet. That they who don't believe yet. Will actually glorify your father who is in heaven. And that church is how we make a difference in the world. That church is how we live in these tumultuous times that we live in. Faithful to Almighty God. Faithful to one another. And faithful to those He's calling us to reach, teach, and release. Can I get an amen? Amen. Father God, we give you thanks. The truth is, Lord, this um, this is easier said than done. But God, I thank you that um, you didn't leave us abandoned. You didn't leave us orphans. You, you told us in John's gospel that you will send a comforter, a helper to us. And you actually left us the perfect example to follow. So Father, thank you for this church that you're growing. And God, I believe you're growing it quite beautifully. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the things that have been said today. And you would mark them indelibly upon our hearts and our minds. And yes, Lord, even upon the life of this church. Father, if I've said anything today that's not of you, and that could be so possible. Father, would you let that just fall by the wayside? God, if there's one thing I'm certain of, we'll get this wrong from time to time. God, we want to stand up when we need to stand up. We want to address issues that we need to address. But God, at the end of the day, what we really want to do is is make a difference for your kingdom. So Father, I pray for every single person here, me included. Use us. Use us to make a difference in this world. Use us to advance your kingdom. 
Use us, God, so that others would look at our lives, at our integrity, at our morality, at our good deeds. And praise you, Father God, who art in heaven. For we pray it in the strong, the powerful and triumphant name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the top of our homepage. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.